Well, good morning and welcome to everyone here and those joining us online. It's so great to be together. My name is Zach and I have the joy of serving here as the multi-site pastor as well as the Bush Lake campus pastor. And as we have heard and seen, we are in the middle of our summer sermon series called Summer Games, Picking Up the Torch. It's really about how we can find ways to grow in our faith and, and how we can draw closer to Christ in all things. And really the, the purpose of this message is to tie over to, to see that there are some metaphors and parallels that we see throughout the New Testament scriptures that highlight how our faith is similar to that of an Olympian, how an Olympian trains and prepares and how an Olympian runs a race, so too is is our faith similar to that? And so as we're talking about it today, we're, we're talking about this oftentimes famous passage, run the race with perseverance. And so there's a story for me and my wife, Cassie, recently that deals with this topic of perseverance. A few months back, we decided to take a family trip down to Texas. We did it in February. Now, normally we decide to go to Texas in January or February to thaw out from the Minnesota winters, but this February, was anything but the same. Some of you know where I'm going with this. And so we, we flew into town, we were sitting there, we were having a, just a, a great time, long weekend, and it was actually Valentine's Day weekend. And we left our kids with my parents and we went out to dinner, a romantic dinner. We had tacos, it was great. <laughs> and we're sitting there watching the, the radar as the storm kind of seems to, to be rolling in. And, and Cassie looked across the table at me and she says, do you think we should maybe pack up the kids and, and make the trek, the two hour trek to Dallas tonight, just so we can make sure we can get on the flight for tomorrow? And I did what any good husband should do or would do. I said, nah, we're fine. It's Texas after all. <laughs> Gentlemen, husbands, word of encouragement, listen to your wives. Because <laughs> the very next morning, the radar says, oh, you'll get about maybe three, four, five inches of snow. Where we were at, we got about eight to 10 inches of snow. In fact, it was so bad, whenever we opened up the blinds to look across the street, our neighbor was out there and the snow was coming up to his kneecaps. So I went out and I saw this, our rental car was buried in the snow. Okay, this isn't Minnesota, this is Texas, okay? I, I came downstairs and, and the pressure began to mount because this was the start of uh, our, our Lent series. And I had to get back to Minnesota because I had to give the Ash Wednesday message that night. And I was preaching that coming Sunday. I was slotted for that. And I just thought to myself, if we don't get out today, then we might not get out for weeks. As I walked downstairs, the electricity was off and the pipes were frozen. Yeah. And so I went to my dad and I recognized, ah, oh, the pressure is just mounting. We need to get to Dallas and I need to find a way to, to create a path. And so I went to my dad and I said, dad, do you have a shovel by chance? <laughs> my dad who grew up in Northern Louisiana and spent time in East Texas said, sure, I got one in the corner there in the garage. Well, he directed my attention to one of those six inch square garden shovels. <laughs> and thus began the 90 minute backbreaking journey of shoveling my parents' driveway. Now, here's the thing. You know the phrase, everything's bigger in Texas? Yeah, that goes for their driveways too. <laughs> and so finally, after 90 minutes, I got this driveway plowed and we threw the kids in the car, buckled them up. We jumped in. I backed out in that little rental car and then we got stuck in the, in the, in the roadway. And I'm sitting out and my dad's like, are you okay? Is everything? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, you know, jabbing out the snow. I'm just trying to get, get us free. And we jump in and we, and we take off. And what was supposed to be a two-hour drive normally took us about four to four and a half hours. As we're sitting there driving, 
sitting on the highway and a 75 mile per hour speed limit area going about 28 the whole way, sitting behind 18 wheelers because that's the only thing that has enough weight to create a path for us to drive on because, you know, go figure, they have like one snowplow for the entire state of Texas. Who would have thought? As we're sitting there, you know, there's nothing that's been plowed. And so the, the road, it, it's like I'm driving on an old dirt country road. I'm just sitting there holding on to the steering wheel. And then all of a sudden I hear, Bleh. And my sweet two-year-old daughter, who's never car sick, I look behind to see her breakfast. Sweet pea, I'm so sorry. And I grab the steering wheel. How long, oh Lord, will this continue on as I'm white knuckling it there? And then all of a sudden my phone rings and, you know, I, Cassie answers it and it's Pastor Joel. Okay, woo, Pastor Joel, when he calls you answer, even if you're in a blizzard. <laughs> and he says, Zach, I heard that you're, uh, you're stuck in Texas in a little snowstorm. I'm like, yeah, you could, you could say that. And he encouraged me. He did what Pastor Joel does. He encourages me. And then he says, can I pray for you? And I said, you bet you. I'm not going to close my eyes though. <laughs> and so he prayed and he prayed and it was great. And then he concluded before he hung up and he said, well, Zach, it, it sounds to me like you might have a couple of sermon illustrations on the topic of perseverance. <laughs> so guess what we're talking about today? Perseverance, what does it mean to endure in our lives? Now I get it, right? This is a humorous illustration and analogy. We all get it because we live in a snow globe up here in Minnesota, what it's like to drive through a blizzard. But on a more serious and practical note, maybe for some of us, we have experienced times, maybe even seasons, a long term in which we are just like, man, I'm having such a hard time persevering or enduring. I just feel like all of the pressure is mounting upon me. Think about it. Maybe for some of you, you've had that instance where at work, you've got that one coworker who constantly berates and belittles you. And you're just like, man, how long is this going to go on? Uh, maybe you've got that neighbor and you're like, man, alive, they're at it again with their actions or with their words. Or you've got uh, this unique family drama dynamic that is just wearing you down. The kid said that or my uncle said this. And it's just like, man, how much longer am I going to have to endure through this? I I'm just about ready. Uh, maybe for some, though, it's the constant health battles. Time after time, we hear the next diagnosis. I mean, we've got the engagement cards. We read through these prayer requests. I see them. Health issues, job loss, family dynamics. We're all facing something. We're all in our own storm of life that is so difficult and hard. And it's just leading us to that question, man, how do we persevere? And so what I want to look at today is, is one question that I hope to answer. And it's this, what do I do when all I feel like doing is throwing in the towel? What do I do when all I feel like doing is throwing in the towel? Because all the pressure is there. Everything is just mounting up. I don't have any energy left. I'm just ready to tap out. Well, the passage we're going to be looking at to answer this question, what do I do when all I feel like doing is throwing in the towel? It comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It might be a familiar passage for some. But as we walk through Hebrews 12, I want to invite you to pull out your engagement card on the backside. There's some teaching notes there to jot a few thoughts and ideas down. But as we walk through Hebrews 12, We'll see three key points. We'll see, first of all, a problem. A problem that we're going to run into that, that hinders us from persevering. Uh, second, we're going to see a picture. 
A picture of what perseverance looks like. And then third, a prayer. A prayer that we can apply to our lives. Something that we can utilize as tools whenever we find ourselves in seasons in which we're just trying to persevere. So a problem, a picture, and a prayer. But let's go ahead and dive into this very first point. Let's dig into this passage all together. It says this, Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay, our first point deals with the the problem of perseverance. And I think that we can glean a lot of wisdom from verse one. So let's look at verse one again. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Okay, we see the author open up and he, he just says, you know, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And I think a lot of times we're like, okay, who is this cloud? What is this cloud of witness? Well, I think it really refers back to Hebrews chapter 11 and what's called a lot of times the hall of faith, not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. It's talking about believers and followers of Jesus who have gone before us, who have received the victor's crown and that they're there really as our cloud of witnesses. And if you imagine an Olympic arena that is filled with the cloud of witnesses, they're up there cheering us on saying, yes, continue along, continue to run the race that is set out before you. And so we have a cloud of witnesses encouraging us. But it's not just that. The author says, let us run the race that is marked out for us. It's as if God has marked a path for us, for you and me, that is preordained for us to run alongside. Much like a swimmer is swimming in their lane, much like a runner is running along the pathway that they have, so too has God set out and and marked a run for us. And then it says, let us run with perseverance. Now that just kind of leads me to that question. What, what, what kind of a, a run are we talking about here? Okay, because when I used to train for hockey, I, I love, you know, kind of that 50 yard, that 100 yard sprint, because I could be done real quick. Okay, I'm too bow-legged to do anything else other than a quick sprint. But what we ultimately see is he says, run with perseverance, run with endurance. Friends, our faith is not a sprint. Our faith is a marathon. Lord have mercy, come on now. And so he's saying, run with perseverance, this this race that is marked out for us. And we're going to be encouraged with this cloud of witnesses. But then he goes in and he says, here's how I want you to run this race. He says, throw off, let us throw off everything that hinders and that ensnares us and that entangles us. And that is a really important image because this actually relates back to the first century. In the first century, when they would come in as competitors and, and they would run the race that is set out before them, they, they would show up with robes or, or togas perhaps. And then before they'd line up to, to run this race, they would actually throw off that robe and throw off that toga and then run the race in the nude. Okay, they'd run the race naked. Now here's the thing, hear me when I say this, that is not your application point today. I'm watching every single one of you, all right? No one wants to see that. But the author is is hearkening back to this image. He doesn't say throw off your clothes and run the rest. No, he's saying throw off the weight, throw off the things that hinder us. Uh, Don't just set them down, throw them away. 
And I think it's important for us to, th- to think about this because whenever we run the race, if, if we don't do that, there are certain things that will tie up our legs. It's like a robe or a toga wrapping around our legs and that's gonna force us to, to fall flat on our face. And can we be honest? Running a marathon is hard in and of itself, but now he's saying throw off any additional weight. And so as I think about this problem that we can run into, I, I think that we could ultimately say our first point is this. Uh, we all carry burdensome weights. We all carry burdensome weights. We, we all carry weights that are limiting, that are debilitating, that a lot of times will hinder us from journeying with Jesus. We all have things that are really gonna stand in our way and slow us down. And if we're not careful and we're not cautious about it, it's gonna trip us up. And, and so I just wanna th- invite you to think about it. What is the weight that you are carrying in your own faith journey? You see, because the author says, let us throw off the sin. It's like a singular sin. It's like each and every one of us has one thing that that is kind of hindering us, that's weighing us down, that's bogging us down from following Jesus. And so I just want to illustrate it for you briefly. I've got here some weights. I'm not going to do a weightlifting show. None of that. Nobody wants to see that. But what I've got here is just an invitation for you to reflect. What is the race that's hindering you? Or what is the weight that's hindering you from running the race? You know, maybe for some of us, we have this weight of guilt and of shame. Because we've said something, we've done something, uh, there's something in our own journey that we just think to ourselves, man, how can God love me? How can God use me? How can God really accept me? And because of this guilt and shame that we have, we just place that weight in our pack and that hinders us from following Jesus. You know, maybe for others of us, uh, we, we think about, you know, gossip and slander. And, and we find so much joy in tearing other people down rather than building them up. And we know we shouldn't do it, but yet there's something so appealing about it, so we continue to do it anyways. And, and we know, you know, th- this thing is just really weighing me down and it's hindering us from following Jesus. Gossip and slander, that might be one. Maybe for others of us, it's just simply put, whew, this idea of reputation. Maybe you think to yourself, you know what, if I could just have that job or have that resume or have that accolade, then I could be who I want to be or I could buy that house or buy that car or buy that cabin that I want to have and, and my reputation, you know, I want to follow Jesus, but, but not too radically, not too extreme. I don't want to be labeled as that kind of Christian. You know, maybe that's our weight that we are holding that's hindering us, the weight that is keeping us from following Jesus. Or even for others, maybe it's just the comparison game. How many of us feel this comparison? We see somebody else's life, somebody else's possession, somebody else's appearance, and we think, you know what? I'm gonna compare my life, and until I find myself completing the goal before me, I, this one thing is gonna hinder me from following Jesus. Maybe it's comparison. Now, these are all five-pound weights, but this next one, these next two are 10-pound weights. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, these might be a little bit heavier weights that we're carrying. And maybe for some, it's the weight of unforgiveness and resentment. Is there someone in your life that has done something, that has said something that you are still holding on to, that even to this day, it just maybe it just wrecks you and it gives you nightmares? Here's the thing though about our faith. We see that we're called not to just love how Jesus has loved us, but we're called to forgive how Jesus has forgiven us. That's the central part of the gospel, that we are forgiven in Christ. And so we're ultimately called to forgive as well. But maybe unforgiveness and resentment is in our place, but you know, maybe for some, on this topic of unforgiveness, maybe it's not unforgiveness towards somebody else, but maybe it's unforgiveness towards yourself. And so is there something that you have done, 
something that you have said in your life, that you are just holding unforgiveness towards yourself. Uh, that whenever you think about it, you are your own worst critic. Uh, that every blot, every blemish, every stray hair, you're like, man, yeah, that's me. I, I should have known better. I should have done better. But man, I just can't seem to forgive myself. Can I be honest with you really quick? I came to know the love and the abiding grace of Jesus when I was about 20 years old in college. But because of the things that I said, because of the, some of the things that I did before coming to Christ, this is my weight for about four or five years that hindered me from following Jesus more fully. And, and so whatever the weight is, you know, we've got all of these weights that are uh, really weighing down our backpack and, and our journey. And, and this is about 40 pounds here. But now I want you to go run a marathon. I want you to, I want you to run. I want you to, you know, maybe get after it. That's really awkward. I see myself on the screen. <laughs> it's not a good look. But you can begin to see it that running a marathon is hard enough in and of itself. Now do it with a 40 pound back. No, no, Jesus says here, he says, let us not set down. Let us throw off the weight that so easily ensnares and entangles each and every one of us that hinders us from running the race marked out before us. So friends, what is it? What is your weight that's hindering you, that's keeping you back, that's bogging you down from following Jesus? Identify it, name it, call it out and follow Jesus more fully. That's our first point. That's our problem, that there are things that are gonna hinder us from following Christ. But now we come to our second point, which is the picture, the picture of perseverance. Uh, let's go back and look at verse two. It says this, uh, fixing our eyes, we're called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, the author opens up with this encouragement. He says, fix your eyes. Now that word right there is so important. It means to direct your gaze, direct your attention without distraction. Uh, okay, it means to really have a laser-like focus on whatever it is that's before us. And it means to direct your attention and your gaze without any sideways energy, any sideways chatter. Okay, recently my neighbors bought our son Craig some binoculars, okay? And it's like, he, he pulled the binoculars up to his face, but he had them backwards and he's looking at me and he's like, Daddy, you look so small. But it's like, whenever we have the binoculars up to our eyes, it's like nothing else. We're, we're, we're blocking out all the peripheral stuff and we have our eyes and our gaze fixed solely on one thing and one thing alone. I mean, you can just see it in the Olympians' face that as they're getting ready to compete, right? They kind of got the mean mug going, right? They're, but they are focused on the task at hand. And so what is it that we're called to fix our gaze, fix our attention towards? It's Jesus. All right, we're, we're called to do just that. No shocker there. And the author continues, he says, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the, the author or the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Here's the thing about it. Let's just talk about this for a moment. Uh, Jesus is the one who initiates our faith. He's the one that starts it. Our faith doesn't begin with our own hard work and sheer willpower, but it starts with Christ and Christ alone. And, and then it says that he is the pioneer, but not only that, he is the perfecter, that he is also our model of faith. Then when we're confused or we're ambiguous or, or we're unsure of where to go or what, what it looks like, we can look to Christ in all things. And so it's just a reminder that God, through his son Jesus, doesn't just initiate, but he sustains our faith. That which God initiates, he sustains as well. And so the person of Christ is so important. And this leads us into our second point, the, the picture that we can see here. And it's this, our perseverance is tied to our picture of Jesus. Okay, think about that. Our perseverance is tied to our picture of Jesus. 
that whenever we think about persevering, it's got to be tied closely to who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. And so I just want to ask you, think about this. Do you have a big picture or a small picture of Christ? Because that will determine your ability to persevere, whatever's thrown your way. Now, this is important because when I think about it, I think a lot of times we can kind of just go through the motions. I think that we can just kind of get into our routines and rhythms without really thinking or, or considering who Jesus is. I want you to just pause and, and, and think about this for a moment. What kind of picture do you have of Christ? And I'm reminded of a story several years ago when Cassie, my wife, and I, we lived in Dallas. We served as college ministers down there. And one summer, I had the chance to go and lead a, a cabin of guys. They had just graduated from high school. They were about to head into their uh, freshman year at college. We were serving as college ministers at that time. And I remember going into this cabin, and these guys, they were sharp guys, okay? They had grown up in church. They knew all the answers. In fact, the senior pastor's youngest son was in this cabin as well. And so I just said, hey, let's go back to the basics, because you might step into a classroom where, where your faith is going to be challenged and, and you may not know the answer. So let's just go back. Let's have all of our bases covered. And so I'd ask them questions. We'd talk about the message, but then I'd say, okay, what's the purpose of your faith? Jesus. It's like, great. Okay, cool. What, what else? Let's dig into it a little bit more. What does Jesus do? Well, he died for us. Okay, good. Now we're getting somewhere. Uh, so Jesus came and he died for you and he died for me. Okay, great. Uh, I, we got the what. But then I looked at one student and I said, Why? Why did Jesus come and die for you? And this one student paused and there was an audible silence in the cabin. And he reflected and he said, I ask myself that question every single day. So if I was to step down from here and if I was to bring a microphone before you and I was to ask that question, why did Jesus come and die for you and for me? How would you answer it? It's an important thought. And for me, I took this student right back here to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And I said, why did Jesus come to die? I mean, really, thanks for that reflection. But Jesus came to die for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Really? Seriously? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's nothing joyful about the cross. Can we be honest about that? I mean, think about this. Uh, the Romans, he was handed over to the Romans to experience the most excruciating death you could ever imagine. And they were expert killers when it came to the cross and crucifixion. Uh, they, they brought him forward. They, they beat him. They took a crown of thorns the size of knives and placed it on his head. And they took bats and beat it down so that it would drive deeper and deeper into his skull. And as blood poured down his face, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And then they took whips and they were literally ripping skin from his back as he just cried out in anguish for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, carrying the cross through the cities. And then as we think about it, not only did he experience physical anguish and torment, but there was also the religious torment as well. In the Hebrew scriptures, it says anyone who is hanged on a tree is considered a curse. So the apostle Paul quotes this in Galatians 3. He said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You and me should have experienced that curse, but Christ took it upon himself. But as he's standing there, not only does he have the physical difficulty and the uh, religious difficulty, but he's now hanging on a cross as people are walking by and the emotional torment is just mounting as people cry out, criminal, crucify him. You get what you deserve. Uh, kill him. And there he is. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. 
that when we look at Christ in the picture that we have, it is this abounding and deep joy and love that he has for you and for me. And so friends, once again, what kind of a picture do you have of Jesus? You see, if you have a small picture of Christ, let's, let's just be real. It doesn't make any sense for you to throw off the weight. And it doesn't make any sense for us to fix our eyes upon Christ. But I hope and pray that in our time here, as we worship, as we sing, as we learn, that, that our hearts and our eyes will, will just enlarge with who Christ is and what it is that he has done for us, for the joy set before him. He endured, he persevered through the cross. Let that be the picture that you see of Christ. We've seen first the problem, that there are weights that hold us back. We all carry burdensome weights. At second, there's a picture that uh, our perseverance is tied directly to our picture of Jesus. But now we come to this third point, which is a prayer. And so I want to invite us, let's go back into the text. I want us to stay as close as possible to the text. Look at verse three. It says this, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay, let's unpack this. That first word there, consider. It's an important word because it really means to reason with careful deliberation. Okay, it has this idea of chewing and noodling and just thinking and meditating on something. It means to consider Christ who endured such hostility. And so if we think about this, in verse 2 it says, fix your eyes. And then verse 3, it's fill your minds. So fix your eyes on Christ and fill your minds with Christ. Uh, what he has done, he, he's endured such hostility from the Romans, from the religious leaders, from the, the crazed crowds, even from his closest friends and followers. He endured all of those things. But then the verse continues along in, in verse three. It, it uses in English these two little words, so that. Look at it. It says, he says uh, may we consider him who endured such opposition, so that. Now in the Greek, this is a, a singular word. It's the word henna. Uh, which is a henna clause. It's a purpose clause. He's saying, consider, think about, fill your mind for the purpose that, or for the result that, what? You will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. And so that's why we stew on, that's why we chew on, that's why we meditate on Christ and who he is. The purpose of filling our minds on Jesus is that we will not lose heart or grow weary. In fact, my friend Jacob, who was up here last week, he shared with me as we were kind of working through some of this, he said, you know what? Hebrews 12 is one of his favorite passages. He says, if you lose your picture of Jesus, you lose your picture of hope. If you lose sight of Christ, you lose sight of your hope. So set your mind, consider him who endured such hostility. Chew on it, fill your mind with him. Now, this is important because whenever we think about it, uh, this leads us then into this, this idea of, of a prayer. Uh, what do we do? I mean, really, when, when I just feel like, man, I'm at my wits and I'm ready to throw in the towels. I, I don't know how to move through it. Well, I want to give you a prayer for perseverance. Uh, that's our third point, a prayer for perseverance. And so when we think about this, I, I believe firmly that if you begin to apply some of these prayer points to your life, whenever you find yourself in days, weeks, months, seasons of hardships and difficulties, when you're like, man, what do I do when all I feel like doing is throwing the towel? You can pray these prayers pulled right here from scripture. And it's three prayer prompts for us. Uh, they all begin with R. There's alliteration there. Okay, the Southern boy in me, it's gotta have the alliteration power. All right, but the very first thing is this, remember his endurance. Remember his endurance. We already saw it here. Consider him, set your mind on him. Think about, fill your mind with him who endured, who persevered. Now, in our Christian faith, we say that Jesus was fully God and fully human. 
And when we think about the human element of Christ, there are things that Jesus experienced that we possibly will experience as well. Okay, and he endured through all of it. Think about it. Those who hated him had him killed, and those who were closest to him betrayed him. Any of us ever been betrayed? Yeah, so has Jesus. Okay, but it says that Jesus was also born as a baby. I mean, imagine that Jesus experienced ailments and illnesses that a baby would experience as well. But Jesus was a carpenter. Okay, he took on his earthly father's trade of Joseph. And you can imagine that being a carpenter, he probably had splinters. Okay, he probably nailed his thumb once or twice. Okay, maybe that's just me. Nobody else? All right. But yet he endured throughout it all. But then also think about this. Jesus had a family. He had a mom and a dad. He had brothers. And so he navigated probably some unique family dynamics. In fact, in John chapter 7, the gospel writer John says, even his own brothers didn't believe in him. You think that made for some awkward Christmas dinner conversations? And yet what? He endured. He persevered. So first of all, remember his endurance. Second, the second R is revere. Revere his victory. Revere his victory. And, and this is so true. As we've journeyed through this series, we, we've said all along that Jesus is victorious, that he's our ultimate champion, that he's the ultimate one standing on the podium with no one else, that uh, there is no one else even remotely in his league. And Jesus is victorious over sin, the death, and the grave. In fact, we can remember some of Jesus' words when he says, take heart for I have overcome the world. I am victorious. And so revel, celebrate, sit in his victory and allow that to uh, just stir up your heart. But it's not just sort of a, a victory that's going to happen at the end of days, right? Because we can look to that, but it's also a victory that we have here today. That his presence and his provision and his power allows us to have victory no matter what it is that we are experiencing and no matter what it is that we're going through. So revere his victory. But now the third prayer prompt or prayer application. You know, what do we do when we feel like throwing in the towel? I mean, when, when all the pressures are rising, whenever everything just seems like, man, there's, there's no hope in sight, uh, man, we are just exhausted, we are fatigued, and we're just like, man, I, I need a break. What do we do in that moment? The third part is this, rest in his presence. Rest in his presence. We're reminded of the words of Jesus when he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me all who are burdened, all who are carrying this 40 pound weight and I will give you rest. Now here's the thing, it's not just sort of a unplug and go to the cabin, R&R, go to a, a fancy resort and unplug. It's, it's this idea of find in me the abiding and the enduring rest that I'm here to give you. That's the rest that Christ wants for you. As we think about all of these coming together, I'm reminded of what R.C. Sproul, when he talked about persevering in Christ, here's the words that he said. He said, we are able to persevere only because God works within us, within our wills. And because God is at work in us, we are certain to persevere. Because God is at work within us. Not our own strength, but his strength. And so there you have it, friends. A prayer for perseverance. Three things that you can apply whenever you find yourself in this season of hardship and difficulty. First, remember his endurance. Remember all that he endured and persevered through. Uh, revere his victory. Remember uh, that he is victorious over all things. And then ultimately rest. Rest in his presence. Find his abiding and enduring rest for each and every one of us. And so I just want to wrap things up. 
and just go back to the beginning and just ask, you know, we're called to run this race that is marked out for us. And so it's a question, what, what is it that you are holding on to that's holding you back? What is the weight that entangles you that is going to trip you up on this marathon run that we have? Don't just set it aside. No, no, no. Throw it aside. Throw all of those things aside. At the foot of the cross, at Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. That as we have an enlarged picture of Jesus, that gives us the ability to fix our eyes and to throw things at his feet, to, to fix our eyes and to fill our minds. And then we can pray just the simple words. God, I know that I'm probably not going to get removed from this, but God, won't you sustain me through it? That's been my prayer for the last couple of months. God, won't you just sustain me through this? I know you're going to sustain me through it because I can remember your endurance. I can revere and celebrate your victory. And I can ultimately rest in your presence. So friends, let's give this a shot. Let's pray this prayer over our own lives. Would you please stand with me now? Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus, that he lived a perfect, sinless, spotless life, that he's our ultimate champion, he's the ultimate victor. And we can look to him, that we can fix our eyes, that we can consider him, that we can fill our minds. And so we just pray for this. I know that all of us here and all those who are looking online, that we're all coming from a different place, a different space. Maybe some are right in the middle of hardship and difficulty and we're just wondering, man, I'm ready to throw in the towel. But won't you just remind us of how we can come to you to throw away those things and to fix our eyes upon you. So Jesus, help us to remember your endurance. All that you endured, the pain, the strife, the turmoil, you endured all of it and more. And in remembering your endurance, help us to revere, to celebrate your victory. That you have overcome the sin, death, and the grave, all of that for each and every one of us. And lastly, Lord, I know there are some here who are just carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. They're just looking for a break. Help them to rest in your presence. To remember the words, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, all who are burdened, all who have this debilitating weight, this limiting weight on their shoulders. And won't you give them rest? Lord, we know that we can persevere only because of your perseverance in us. So be with us now. We pray all of this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, and by the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.